morning. My name is Helen and I am your host this morning. So lovely to see everybody this morning. And if you are a guest, you're very welcome. If you are a visitor, you're very welcome. And as always, if you've come here lots, you're very welcome too. Special welcome to John and Marion. Uh, John is preaching today, so we really look forward to that. If you are a visitor this morning, hopefully you've got been given a welcome pack with a welcome card to just take some time this morning to fill that in. I'll come and speak to uh, any of the leaders, anyone at the front, if you need some help. Contributions. We love to have all of you contributing. That may be by singing. It may be by praying. It may be by bringing a Bible verse or a prophecy or a tongue. We'd love you to do that. We don't believe in everything coming from these guys or people sitting on the front. We believe that everyone's got something to bring. So if you have a prayer or something you'd like to read, then please I encourage you to come and use the microphone so that everybody can hear and people who are listening to the recording at a later time can hear as well. Um, so, yeah, just come and speak to myself or Nathan, who apparently is responsible for me this morning, um, and the meeting. Come and speak to us, and we'll find a place where we can fit it in, either you coming and using the microphone or we'll weave it in to the meeting um, somewhere. So please do, you know, if you get that feeling, you've got something to share, lots of you know what that feeling is, then just come and uh, bring that to us at the front, and we will find a way of, of fitting that in. Children. Morning, children. Hello. <laughs> uh, children, if you're, if you're new here and you don't know where to go, then uh, just follow the crowd. There'll be a couple of songs. Uh, Jules is going to come do some actions to um, a song. And then um, a little bit after that, Katie will um, ask children to make their way to their groups. So if you're not sure where to go, then just follow the crowd. And that is for babies right up to year nine. So, yeah, all of those children can go downstairs to their groups. So Katie's going to lead worship. John is preaching. And, um, yeah, there will be a chance, obviously, for you to contribute at any time. So please just come and ask the microphone. We'll hand over to Katie. Thank you, Helen. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you this morning. If you are able and willing, can I invite you to stand? I just want to start by um, reading to you the first three verses of Psalm 145. I'm sure there are many of you that already know it. Um, it says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise his greatness none can fathom. Let me read that again. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness none can fathom. We're going to spend some time this morning singing about God's goodness. And I want to encourage you this morning to think about God's goodness in your life. It's really easy to say God is good. But where do you know God's goodness in your life today? What's he doing in your life that's good? Because he is always good. There is always goodness, 
I would encourage you to think this morning while we're praising, what are you praising God for? What is he good for in your life at the moment? sing that again. Because you are good and I dance because 
don't you where you are give your praise to God for what it is that he's doing good in your life even if you feel like life is really hard right now let me tell you God is still good he's still there and if that's what you praise him for this morning that he's there in this struggle with you then that's great It's time for our children and young people to go downstairs to their groups. Parents, a reminder that if your child is in year six or below, please could you take them downstairs and register them in their groups.
Can we just put up verse 2? We're going to carry on singing. Can we just put up the verse 2 again? Come, Lord Jesus, my Redeemer, breathe on me anew. Search me, know me, Saviour, make me more and more like you. As we were just singing that, that verse, those lines, I, I felt like there were some here who might feel like, search me, know me, no, no ways. No ways. I do not want to let God search me and know me. If he only knew, if he only knew what I was really like, I feel like God would want to speak over us afresh this morning and say, I do. I do know. And I love you. I do know you. I have searched you. And I love you. And I want to breathe on you. And that, that sense of the breath of God, it's bringing fresh life. Fresh life. Why don't we just reach out to him where we are this morning? We're going to carry on worshiping. But why don't we make that our prayer this morning? Breathe on me anew. He's the God of grace. He's the God who searches us and knows us and isn't running far away from us, but running straight towards us. His goodness is running after us. We love you, Lord God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you don't stand off at a distance, but you run towards us. And we say, breathe on us anew this morning. Search us. Know us. Every high, every low. Search us. Know us. Make us more and more like Christ this morning. Amen.
Just as we started that song, the first verse, it talks about if faith can move the mountains, let the mountain move. And I don't know about you, but as we sang that, I started to think of things in my life that may, may not be mountains, but they're large hills, they're getting in the way, issues in life. And, but I can't move the mountains. But the song says if faith can move the mountains, what does it mean? It's faith in the mountain mover, and God is the mountain mover. He is the one that can transform our lives, that can change everything in a moment. And so we place our faith and trust in him. And so I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and I, I, I just ask you, think through, even say out, you can say it out quietly, you can say it out loudly, the things in your life that you see as hills, mountains, mountain ranges even. God can move the mountains. Let's put our faith in him. Lord, we, we thank you that we, it's not by our strength, it's not by our abilities that things get changed in our lives, that mountains get moved and lives get transformed. But it's you, you're the mountain mover. And I pray, Lord, help us to put our faith, our trust in you, to look to you, to, to deal with the circumstances that we're in, because you are faithful. And it goes on in the very next verse, God of creation, if God created all things, if you created all things, Lord, you can move the mountains in our lives. And I pray, would you just bless, would you speak into our lives, would you bring transforming power to see lives transformed and mountains moved, Lord. Amen. Wonderful. Well, we can find our seats. Let me just uh, encourage us, if God is speaking to you about anything, um, through what Sean's brought or just through the time of worship, why not find someone um, at the end that you know or come and find one of the leaders um, afterwards and just pray with someone help God kind of work that through in our lives and put that into action. It is a great privilege this morning to have John and Marion Groves with us all the way from the far off city of Winchester on the free bus, 64 bus is free right now on Sundays, isn't it? Do you know that? Yeah, there we go. Free on Sundays, the 64 bus, I think it is. Uh, it is a real privilege to have John and Marion with us. John has spoken into us as a church for a number of years now, part of our family of churches commission, and every time he comes, he blesses us, and uh, he speaks into what, what God wants to do in us as a church. I just want to encourage us to have hearts that are open this morning, to hear what God wants to speak to us as individuals, but also to us as a church. And so, as John comes up, can we just appreciate them and thank them for being here, and uh, welcome his message that he has for us. Let's thank them.
Thank you very much, uh, Nathan. I feel, we feel very welcome. We always do, actually, when we're amongst you. Love it, love it. Um, and enjoy coming up here. Yeah, it's a nice drive up. We didn't come on the free bus, Nathan, actually. Though I have got my bus pass. Um, and I won't say, not yet. No, no, soon to be. We, we reckon when we've both got one, we'll use them quite a lot. I tend not to. Sorry, you don't need to know all that, do you? Just reflecting on your comment. Um, it, it is lovely to be here. And what I, want, I, I so enjoyed just that lovely time of worship. Thank you uh, for those who led us, the band. And uh, I, 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 I'm speaking on true worshippers. And I feel that I'm speaking with the wind behind me, going with the grain. So I, I don't... It's not even remotely near like you need this corrective word. It's nothing like that. It's more like going with what God does do amongst you and is doing amongst you and perhaps reinforcing uh, what you do and what you believe for and I hope also stirring you in faith and just causing you to go further in God with, with worshipping him together in all contexts, not just Sunday morning when you're in small groups as well. And so we're going to talk on that subject, but I'm going to use uh, John 4 as my base passage. So we're going to look at, uh, uh, read a few verses, verses 4 to 26. This is a magnificent story, true story, of course, a magnificent uh, narrative in the Gospels. uh, The woman at the well, Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman. So let's read it, and in it we're going to find something very important about worship. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat by, down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with. The well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from him himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the woman, the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Oh, sir, the woman said, I, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's a wonderful passage, profound passage. And uh, it contains so much, layer upon layer of truth. I'm going to touch some of it because I can't resist it. But in it is a gem of teaching from the Lord Jesus about worship, true worshippers, the ones God really wants and seeks, and how it works, if I can use that terminology, in the new covenant that Jesus has, is about to introduce or is introducing, even as he speaks in a way, that whole new covenant era, our era, the gospel age, the one we're living in still until Jesus comes back. Now, this has to be noted, how remarkable this whole thing is, and it's precious and important. Jesus here gives some of the most detailed and profound teaching that we have recorded anyway, anywhere in any gospel. He talks about how salvation works, if you like, the internal well of salvation with a new covenant. He, he, he acknowledges very openly his own role as Messiah. He's actually going to talk about the nature of God himself, which we will briefly look at as it's part of what we're looking at. He will talk about the radical, radical change in worship and how we worship the one true living God uh, now that he has come. And he's, I mean, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. And now the most remarkable and amazing thing is who he is talking to. And we must stop and notice it. We're meant to, and we must. And it's going to be very, very important for us all to notice it. We just have to. This revelatory teaching, this very explicit, clear teaching, even the last sentence that we read, I am he, I'm the Messiah. I mean, I don't think you get that anywhere else quite like that. All of this teaching is given to a Samaritan, a woman, and an immoral woman. It's just amazing. So briefly, to highlight why that's so amazing, it will be brief. Most of you probably have some idea, but let's just savour it for a moment, who Jesus is speaking to. First of all, she's a Samaritan. Now, the woman herself acknowledges this is a big problem. It's a different race. It's a different religion to the Jews. She said, you shouldn't even be talking to me. What are you doing asking me for a glass of water? She's quite aggressive, a bit of a hardened case perhaps in some ways with her life. She says, what are you asking me for water for? You're not supposed to speak to me. Now, the Samaritans were seen as very outside the pale by the Jews. They were, by origin, um, probably the remnants of the ten tribes that split off from the, the two tribes that stayed faithful uh, at the time after, Solom after Solomon. Yeah, So the remnants of those people, but mixed with all sorts of others, deliberately sometimes, the sort of process that's often gone on in history where the Assyrians, for example, deliberately moved people in to uh, take over this area. So they were a real mixture racially and they had kept some of their um, historic links to the Jewish religion 
back through those 10 tribes. So they still believed in the one God to some extent, though it was all mixed with paganism. They had their own rituals, their own temple, their own links to Abraham, their own claims. Actually, funnily enough, it probably wasn't that different from, the dif- from what goes on in the Middle East today between the Palestinians and the Israelis, the sense of all owning Abraham and all owning the same sort of holy spots and this sort of thing. But the, the Jews were very anti-Samaritans. And so one of the insults leveled at Jesus was that he is a Samaritan who has a devil. That was about as bad as you could get if you wanted to insult someone. He's a Samaritan who has a devil. So these were outside the covenant people, real no-go area, despised, openly survived, despised total racism, but also much more than that, just as a religious, uh, I mean, they'd be seen as uh, blasphemers. Now, she's a woman. Women were generally despised in the first century culture. Woman's testimony, probably know all this, wasn't accepted in court, which it wasn't. Girls weren't taught in the same way as boys, particularly, interestingly, in this context, they weren't taught much theological teaching. Girls weren't taught as the boys were, particularly Old Testament, all the rest of it. No rabbi would engage in significant religious teaching to a woman. We've already highlighted what Jesus is doing here. And finally, she's immoral. I think she is by anybody's standards. It's clearly recognized in those days. It's not, uh, it's not hidden in the story at all. She's had five husbands. She's currently living with a man who isn't her husband. Now, that is a total category of outside the pale again, probably by most of the standards of the day. That's possibly why she comes uh, at noon to collect her water when all the other women are there. She's maybe the subject of criticism and gossip and some sort of threat, I guess, that she'll pinch their husbands. I don't know. And she is in a a category that is very explicitly, uh, uh, you might say, an immoral category. An uncleanness about her. So no Jewish man, certainly a rabbi, would would talk to her. And uh, apart from the uncleanness that would bring to him, uh, I mean, obviously there'd be perhaps uh, gossip about why he was talking to her. And uh, so there is absolute rock-solid case here that no self-respecting Jewish teacher or rabbi is going to speak with this woman the only attention he'd give her would be some edict of judgment, possibly even of execution, if he was being rigorous with the law. Yet Jesus engages not only in conversation, but tactful, direct, but gracious, and above all, revelatory conversation about himself and the gospel and all that he's bringing in. And This is amazing, and I want you to hear it and think about it, because this is a huge marker for what Jesus is coming to do. And we rightly, historically, have talked about before Christ and after Christ with our history, because Jesus changed everything. He changed absolutely everything in terms of how we relate to God and the gospel. And the good news he brought is absolutely revolutionary. And in this, he is demonstrating, he's doing it. This woman comes to faith in him. You'll see if you read to the end of the story. But he's, he's demonstrating the gospel. He's demonstrating all he's come to do. He is in a concrete, real way, absolutely laying out the new covenant age. And it is absolutely remarkable. 
This, what he's come to do, the salvation he's come to bring, is a gift. He calls it the gift of God. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You, can't, you cannot work to be saved. It is impossible. If you try down that path, you'll never get there. It is a gift. The gift of God. It's amazing. Grace. It has an internal change in your life. You now have in you a well of water bubbling up. You're, not, you're no longer just doing externals. It's about internals. Born again of the Holy Spirit. Life renewed, heart renewed, new heart, new spirit. This is the gospel. And it has its own life within you. A well bubbling up. Now this is for, and, and I'm gonna, I must jump ahead of myself. Some of the other glorious things will come up in a minute to give out worship. But just to flag them, knowing God is your father. Being able to enter into his presence anywhere and any time. All of these wonderful things are coming through what Jesus is doing there and will do in his death and resurrection. And this message is for people like this woman. Not Jewish, Gentile, Samaritan in this case, but outside the promises and the covenant promises that were classically for the Jews. Jews have, have, a, have, have the option as well. It's Jew and Gentile. It's not exclusive of them at all. But it is an extraordinary extension. It's for the Samaritan, for the Gentile. It's for women as well as men. And in a sense, in an equal way, with the same things I flagged up to you, the whole profoundity, profundity of what Jesus brings to her. It is for poor as well as rich. This woman undoubtedly was not a wealthy woman, I wouldn't have thought. But it doesn't matter. That's not the main point here, but it's worth flagging it. It's for all classes and types and races. And it, it's an extraordinary and wonderful, wonderful thing. And finally, it is primarily and fundamentally for sinners. And we're all sinners. And for quite serious sinners, there is real hope. This woman, by human standards, certainly of the day, is pretty serious in us. <laughs> pretty well known, I would thought, as well. This is the things that people all know. And this gospel is for her. Absolutely for her. This gift of God, <clears throat> gift, hear the word, is for her and for all that she represents. Tip of a huge iceberg, really, all of us. But actually, that is huge. That's ma a magnificent outlaying of Jesus' gospel and all he's come to bring. And in it, <clears throat> she says, he says, sorry, to her, some magnificent teaching about worship. So let's just remind ourselves. Can I just say, before I move on to this, because this will only be half of what I want to say. It's not like, oh, that was a long introduction, John. My, my dinner doesn't burn. Don't worry. That's half of what I wanted to say. But I, I want to just finish it by saying, um, at the end, I think I'll give an opportunity for people to pray. If you're not yet a Christian, if that's the point, if you haven't yet come to know Jesus, can I say to you, there is no human reason why you shouldn't come this morning. Don't talk about your sin. Oh, it's too great. Nothing's too great. None of it. Don't talk about your background, your race, you know, the muddle of your... Perhaps you've dabbled in other religions. This woman had dabbled in other religions. It was sort of pagan occult aspects to what they did, the Samaritans. 
None of it need keep you from, from Jesus and from the gospel and from knowing God. None of it. And so I'll give you an opportunity to just come and receive that gift of new life and that well um, bubbling up on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit, which will happen if you put your faith in Jesus this morning. Okay, let's quickly look at this amazing teaching on worship. Here, let's remind ourselves. I think it'll go up. Uh, verses, yeah, thank you, 21 to 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, or the spirit and truth, some ways it's translated. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus starts with the phrase, woman, believe me. And that's a powerful phrase. I think it's the only time it's used in the by Jesus, and it means this is going to blow your mind in our language. This is beyond your understanding, but listen carefully. So that's important to start with. And he says, a time has now come. I have brought this change. What I said a few minutes ago, Jesus brought a radical change, and that radical change applies very much to how we worship God. There is a way to worship the one true living God, not one way in the sense of one form. There's one way in the sense of Jesus, as we'll see. But it's, it's the only way to worship God. And that's what I want to get this morning. The, the Father seeks true worshippers, Jesus said. So in the era in which we live, this, these are fundamental building blocks of what worship is and it is not anything else whatever you might say or believe or have pre pre presented or everything in, and even within christian circles this is fundamental to what worship is so let's take a few moments the three points that come out that i want to highlight first of all true worship is relationship based relationship based God is seeking not so much worship, but worshippers. God didn't create us to perform a duty, but to have communion with us, to be in relationship with us. And the obstacle to that happening was our sin. And that sin in Jesus is removed. We are cleansed from our sin completely. So in and through Jesus Christ, and only in and through Jesus Christ, we can come with unveiled face, open-faced to worship God, without a cloud between us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, boldly to God's throne. We can come through that new and living way, opened through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is an incredible privilege, and you get it nowhere else on the planet. There is no holy place. There is no religion. There is no ritual. There is no special people that can bring this to you. The only way to worship the true living God is through Jesus Christ. That is true throughout our earth today. Whatever is taught in the multiplicity of other religions, even some distortions of Christianity, which are totally based on external 
uh, things. They do not bring you to God. You must come through Jesus Christ. Those who come to the Father, said Jesus, come through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way into the presence. He brings us into a relationship with God where God is our Father. Our Father. Let's look at one verse from John earlier, John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who received him, this is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. We can be born of God, Holy Spirit, reborn, born again, phrases that Jesus uses himself in John 3, through faith in Jesus. And that's the only way. And that's the only foundation for proper, true worship. The only foundation, anywhere. It, it really is. We do not worship the true living God effectively or in any meaningful way, any other way than through Jesus and the relationship we can have with the Father through him. Romans 8 tells us, in, we're not going to turn to it, I haven't got it here on the screen, 15 and 16, that we, we have the Holy Spirit, which w comes through our salvation, and through that spirit of sonship, we cry, male and female, whoever we are, Samaritan or Jew, through that Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. We come to God as our dad, Abba, Father. That is the basis of true worship. And so when we come together, in any context, we all, whoever we are, need to remember, I'm coming as a child to a father. I'm coming, Abba, Father. Now, that doesn't mean we always use over-familiar terms, because we're also aware of all his greatness and awesomeness. But we, can't, we stand as a child before a parent, securing that love, securing that acceptance. That's the foundation of it. That's where we start. We, we may say many more things than Abba, Father. I hope we do. We can talk freely to him. We can worship him. We can adore him. We can lie flat on the, on the ground. And perhaps sometimes, I do, sometimes we should. Overawed with him. But always it's as a child before a father. It's out of relationship. The whole thing is relationship-based. I'm a worshiper. And anything else that calls itself worship of God, and there's multiple things, is false, really, rather than true worship. I'm sorry, it is. It may be human performance. It may be very good theater. It may be incredibly, mind-blowingly spectacular. It may be occultish in its power sometimes, and it could have the most glorious rituals. But true worship is only based on a relationship with the Father. Amen? So, in one way, what a privilege when you're a Christian. Let's just let's over-egg it about other things being false, though we must be open these days. But let's, let's just enjoy, enjoy the privilege and share that privilege with multiple other people as Jesus was opening the door for this Samaritan woman, the door to the Father. Right, quickly, it's true worship is in spirit. Jesus says another very profound thing to this woman in verse 24. God is spirit. I mean, it's the most specific answer you get or anywhere, I think, in the Bible. What, you know, it's almost a philosophical question, isn't it? Humanity's grappled with. What is God like? 
Now, in a way, this doesn't fully help us because our brains don't quite clock it, but it's the truth from heaven. What is God like? God is spirit. Not a spirit. He is spirit. The essential nature of God is spirit. Now, I say not a spirit. He is spirit. And that means he's not material like us. He's not pure energy. He's not force. He's not thought. He is different and other. He is spirit. He's not made of matter like the creation that he made. He is not merely an energy in creation. He is outside of it and above it. He is of different order. He is spirit. It is substantial, but it's not material. We are the shadow. He is the substance. Material things are the shadow. Spirit is substance, eternal substance. He brought forth all that we know and think are so important and real. He is above time and space and material things, though he works within them. He is immaterial, not material. He is invisible. He is unlimited. But not because he is huge in that sense. Not in a material sense, like God's so big. The universe is massive. And it is continuing to be found to be massive with our new telescopes. But actually God is is able to, he's not contained by it, he's beyond it in terms of he's able to contain it, that it can't contain him. But that doesn't mean he's just big, because it's different. We, we are so locked into time and space, we really struggle with this. But God is spirit. He is the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. And spirit being, as I've already said, is not insubstantial. It is more than what we know because it created what we know. And actually, just as a by the way, and again, I won't be too heavy on this, but it's because of this incredibly different nature of God, that he is spirit, invisible, unlimited, and not material, that God is very specific that we should not create idols and images of him because they are so limited as to be ridiculous the biggest example in the old testament is aaron creating a a bull a golden bull calf to try and help the israelites to realize their god was strong and able to push back the enemy well that's ridiculous to re- relate the god who had who'd given the plagues and who'd opened the Red Sea and who'd done all the other mighty things to like, well, he's like a bull. Look at this bull and learn. You don't learn a thing. Don't do that. And actually, I have to say to all Christians, don't do that. Now, I'm not, I I like art, I like creative things, and they have their place, but we do not worship around them. We don't say, well, I want a picture to help me know what God's like. Please be careful. That's all I'd say. Historically, that is, tends to be a trap into idolatry and spiraling down and belittling God and not understanding God. The very nature of the one we worship means you cannot contain him in a picture, physical uh, idol or picture. You have to be very careful because God is actually quite clear. He doesn't want to be worshipped around that because he is spirit. But he has allowed a way we can be worshipping. That's in spirit and in truth. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. God has given human beings something of himself. We're made in his image, male and female. But it, we have spirits. We have spirits. So we're told in 1 Corinthians that when we're born again, our spirits are renewed and our spirits can be reunited with the Lord. We can contact God. We can link with God through spirit because he's spirit. And so when we die, our spirits go to be with him. When Stephen was, was uh, stoned, Acts 7, you read it for yourself, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because his body is being battered with stones. He's dying. His, 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 you know, his, brain, his head's been battered. His blood's pouring out. He knows his body's going. He says, Lord, receive my spirit. His body's falling asleep, as the Bible would call it. But he's absent from his body and present with the Lord, which Paul would use those terms later, about death, physical death. You're not just a body. It's not just what's sitting here this morning. You have a spirit. You've got a spirit. And when you get near to your death, you need to be a bit like Stephen. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And remember, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. And <laughs> that means we need to be aware as Christians. We now have renewed, have a new spirit, Holy Spirit. This is a very important part of us, very important, because this is the bit which connects with the bit that really matters in the whole universe, which is God, who's spirit, who made the rest of it. And so when we worship, we worship in that area, in spirit. That's a huge part of how we worship. So Paul, for example, again in 1 Corinthians 14, talks, I will sing praise and pray, this is me paraphrasing, with my spirit and with my mind. He says that. You can read it for yourself. Verse uh, 15, around there, in 1 Corinthians 14. So when we worship, we can, of course we do. We praise with our, our thinking and understanding. But in the end, we want to praise as well with our spirit. That's why the spiritual gifts are useful, indeed given to help us. And in that same chapter, 14 uh, of 1 Corinthians, you know, he talks about when you come together, you know, you're sort of all part of this because you've all got a spirit. If you're all renewed and refreshed and you're all one spirit with the Lord, so you're all involved. This is not a performance that you observe and get stirred in your emotions alone. You're all involved. And if you're not, you're missing out and you're spoiling it for the rest of us in a funny way. We all need to be in harmony in the spirit. Now, that won't mean we all contribute, but we will have, as you were exhorted this morning and encouraged, you will have different contributions because we're all involved. There will be readings and the tongue and interpretation of prophecy because we're worshipping through the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit, and God who is Spirit is here amongst us. Do you believe that? I do. And that brings a certain excitement to real worship, doesn't it? Anticipation. What might happen? Worship in spirit, then, is centered in, on God, glorifies Jesus, because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. I'll be quick with these. It, it's not focused primarily on material surroundings. Jesus said it doesn't matter which mountain or, you know, it's not about mountains and buildings and places and holy places. That's not relevant to real worship now. It's not, well, I mean, the most holy places were the places that the Jews had. They were the real deal. The, the temple and the holy place and Jerusalem, under the old covenant, of course they were important. But Jesus is saying, that's not, we're moving up and out. You can worship anywhere in spirit and in truth. 
You can worship in a field, in your car, in your home. It's not about the place. It's not about the geography. It's not about the ritual. And it's not about the people. We don't have priests. We're all priests. We can all go into the presence of God. Men, women, anybody. We're all priests. The priesthood of all believers is an important truth that is a subsection of this. That's utterly important. We don't need priests of any sort. We don't need any intermediaries. Sorry, word vicar doesn't like, I don't bless me that word. Nobody needs to be vicarious for us going into the presence of God. We don't need anybody to get us in. We need church leaders and other useful bits and pieces. But to be honest, we have to understand how the new covenant works. It really works this way. It really is how Jesus said it is. It's utterly different. You don't need special places. Of course, I love to walk in the countryside and worship. Sometimes it really helps to be in a, a, a very beautiful setting, maybe even a building. But actually, that is not what makes us worshippers. It maybe helps. It helps to be relaxed. It helps to have a good night's sleep. Lots of things help. But actually, in the end, we worship in spirit and in truth. Let's move on to the last one, truth. And I am running out of time. Let's be quick. Our worship is based on God's truth. Jesus is the truth. So we've already said it, but it's primarily based on the truth in Jesus Christ. So real worship is Jesus-centered and Jesus-glorifying. It also means that it's based on the Word of God, which is the truth. Now, this doesn't mean that this is like a manual we're scrolling through to see if, can we find any detail? There's very little detail about how to do New Testament worship. God is quite capable of giving detail. Read Leviticus. He's quite capable. He doesn't do it. Because this is for everybody across the world. He knew it was for 2,000 years at least. So it's trans generational and cultural there's no details it's all about in spirit and in truth that's what's fundamental about it the truth though is something we have got which is God's word so how we worship must always be in harmony with God's word and never cutting against God's word never obviously clashing with what is in God's word and Actually, the Spirit and the truth always work together. The Spirit and the Word always work together right through the Bible from the first verses where the Spirit moves on the Word to bring creation. The Holy Spirit actualizes what the Word of God declares, what God declares. And so in worship, true uh, Spirit worship will always harmonize with the Word and will probably involve the Word. The Word will play a significant part in what we sing and read and pray. And true word worship will be evidenced, have evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity. They go together. We don't want one or the other. The devil loves to split them up and make them fight each other. They don't need to fight each other. It's word and spirit. Amen? That's how true worship works. And we're going to stop with that because I've run out of time. And I want to give an opportunity to reflect on what I've said. We've got five minutes before the children come back, haven't we? Could you stand, please, for me? Thank you. Now, I've sort of stopped a bit abruptly because I realized I hadn't much time left. So I want you actually just to let the Holy Spirit right now settle in your heart what he wants to say to you this morning about worship or about anything I've said. It'd be very easy, I do it myself, to either ignore most of what I've said or, or criticize it or analyze it or maybe agree with it, but 
with an intellectual analysis. I think I would like you to just be open to what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning. And Father, I want to say, will you come and speak to this lovely group of Christians, friends who I know love you, and Lord, just settle in their hearts. Is there a, a fresh faith for being spirit-filled worshippers and having things to contribute in worship? I, I feel that may be one of the things God's speaking to you about. I just presented to you, some of you, that God wants you more engaged when you're worshipping together, realising you have also got the Holy Spirit and he will prompt you with, with things. Of course, I, I am aware there might be somebody here, I felt that earlier, who doesn't yet know Jesus as their saviour. You don't yet understand that, but you want to. You want to know what this Samaritan woman came to know, that Jesus brings hope to you, cleansing from your sin, fresh start, exciting fresh start. This woman runs excitedly back to tell her friends. Her life is revolutionized. Instead of hiding from people, she goes back and tells the whole town what's happened. Tells the whole town. It's amazing. It's amazing change if you read it. Well, God wants you to have a well of water springing up inside you too. And if you'd like guidance in what to pray, I'm going to read a very simple prayer which you can make your own. But I would say, if you mean it, please talk to someone about it afterwards. That sort of seals it. It's not just a private little thing. It, it, your faith is often... Uh, sealed by confessing it, saying, I prayed that this morning and I meant it. So here's a prayer you could pray if you don't know Jesus yet as your Savior and your Lord and haven't yet got that well of inner water bubbling up. So something like this, you can copy it in your own mind. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you. I can become one spirit with you now because you are alive today. I do admit, Lord, that I have lived my life without you and I have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I thank you that I know you will give it. I commit myself to you. Help me, Lord, to submit my life to you and to your teaching and to your guidance from now on. I receive you into my life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, I ask that for your glory so that I can follow you the rest of my life. Amen. And I want to finally pray for you as a church. Lord, I just pray for this dear church, Harvest Church in Alton. I thank you, Lord, that there are a bunch of your saints who love to worship you and want to worship you. I pray, Lord, there'll be fresh, a fresh anointing on this congregation. I pray that when they come together to worship on Sunday morning or in small groups, I pray there'll be a fresh anointing evident amongst them. More manifestations of your spirit, more gifts operating, more joy, more peace, more of the freedom that you bring. I thank you for tasting of it here, Lord, but I pray for a feast of it. 
Pray for a, a, a bountiful feast as they worship you in spirit and in truth. Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for making this so possible. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us and opening the way that we can know God as our Father. As you said, you're, you're going to my Father and your Father. My God, your God. That's what you said to Mary. Lord, thank you we come into that. And you've given us the same relationship with the living God that you had as Father in heaven. Thank you so much, Lord. We worship you this morning and thank you. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can sit down. Helen, you can pick up the pieces. Should we uh, give uh, a round of applause to John and say thank you? Thank you. Thank you for everyone who's been involved this morning, actually. Band uh, up there behind the scenes. And uh, please, when you go and collect your children very soon, um, please say thank you to the children's workers too. Just a few things. Tuesday, we have our hour of prayer here at the Maltings, um, 8 till 9 o'clock. Everyone's welcome to that. We will be spending the time praying. Uh, also, tonight... Um, there is a public speaking workshop this evening at 7 o'clock. So if you're involved in doing anything where you have to speak to people like this, or in any context, work, whatever, that is open to anybody, 7 o'clock this evening. Welcome packs. If you've got one of these, then please pop your fill-in-the-card, don't pop it in blank, in the box over there, and that will enable uh, us as a church to be able to find out any ways that we can help or support you and get to know you better. And last of all, John has brought some books with him. I've been told the author's pretty good. It's John Groves. So there's this one and there's this one over on the table over there. Um, if you'd like to purchase one, then um, I guess John Marion, Marion will be over there and uh, payment can be cash or electronically, but not cards. Okay, so yeah, if you, the uh, Foundations and Foundations for Pastors, which is um, a leadership book, but take a look if you're leading anything, um, then they will be useful for you. So that is it. Refreshments are going to be served in the cafe. If you've got children, please go and collect them now. And thank you so much for joining us. And um, we will see you very soon. <laughs>